Hello and welcome. I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guest today is Natalie McLean. Natalie is producer host children's programming at 3ABN Australia. Natalie produces and hosts A Day with the King, a children's TV program that promotes knowledge and understanding of the Bible and is producer of 3ABN Australia Radio's Children's Story Hour. Natalie is the mother of two girls, an author, counsellor and preschool mothercraft nurse. In the first part of the conversation, I'll be speaking with Natalie about her passion for children's Christian media. After the break, I'll be speaking with Natalie about her early life and spiritual journey. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you, Barry. It's great to be here. Why a passion for children's Christian media? How did all this come about? Well, I actually fell into it, Barry. Um, I've been working with children for many years, and education's been a big part of that. But actually, the Christian media part, that's something that's only happened in recent years. Um, And it kind of just fell into my lap, really. So I'm learning, and, um, and I am. I'm gaining a passion for it because I can see that it's a very powerful medium to reach children and teach them about Jesus' love. When you got involved in this area, did you feel ready and prepared for it? As far as my experience goes, yes, but as far as the actual working with media, um, not really, but we have worked our way through it and God's been good. And um, as I said, it's been a very steep learning curve for me. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, media shortly, but uh, I'd like to just focus for a little while on the, on the challenges that face parents mm-hmm. today. What are the challenges that parents are facing, particularly in the Christian education of their children? Mm. Look, it's it's a very difficult time, I think, in Earth's history to bring up children um, knowing Christ um, and having that Christian influence through the family. The, the media today is very powerful influence on our children. We know that uh, our children are, are very much exposed from school right through to the home with iPads, iPhones, computers, every technology you can imagine. And to try and compete with that to put the Christian influence into their life, it can be challenging at times. Time, you know, parents are so busy. We are so busy. And to set that time aside, because it takes effort to spend time with your children and teach them about Jesus, teach them about the Bible. And I think time is a huge influence on our life today. It's easier just to put them in front of a screen, really. So we do have our challenges in the Christian media to avert all that and to give them something different. What are the unique challenges that you face as a parent? I mean, that's a general one about time. What about you in a specific context? Well, basically the same, Barry. You know, even though I'm a Christian parent and I'm a Christian myself, my children are still exposed to things of the world, and that's always a challenge for me. And and I'm just like everyone else, time time pressed. We're all time pressed, and so I find I have to really force myself to allow that time to spend with my children to focus them in the right direction. Otherwise, it is very easy for them just to you know, focus on the outdoor media, you know, that the media that comes in. We try <laughs> and stop that media coming into our home, but sometimes it's, it's um, inevitable. Um, our children go to school, so they're exposed to different things at school. Mm. So time is a big issue for you, mm. as it is for most parents. It is. What else do you have to do um, to counter some of the uh, influences that you would see as being negative coming into your home? 
or into the lives of your children? Yeah, well, setting the guidelines quite early in life, you know. Um, prayer is so huge. It's a big part of my life. We pray over our children all the time. I think prayer is a very powerful medium for a family to keep their children safe. Having those limits and guidelines set very early, you know, that this is the time you can use media and this is the time you can't. Having that set time of an evening where you come together as a family and this is if you start that early of course that sets up a rhythm and a routine for your life yeah so I'm not immune to the challenges I'm just a normal parent out there trying to do the best for you know their children if I'm hearing you correctly you're saying that family worship is an important part of the day well, Setting aside a time just mm-hmm. to bring people together yeah I think it's very important and we've set that up very early we're not Uh, children were just babies really and that has become part of our routine that every night we set aside some time to come together as a family obviously when the children were more were little we used to sing quite a bit read some simple stories now they're much older Uh, we get them to read some devotionals and um, prayer is an important part of that and do you discuss issues with Mm -hmm. the children at that time yes we do if there's anything that comes up Mm. And I just think it, it's it's one time of the 24-hour period where you as a family come together and, and we've we've protected that. If we've let everything else go, we haven't we haven't let that go. We've really protected that as an important part of their daily routine. That at, you know before they go to bed, we come together and we reflect on our day, read some spiritual inspiration, have prayer uh, before they go to bed. And I think um, we've guarded that. Um, do the, the children do the children like that period? Do they enjoy being together as a family? I think so. Yes, and if we miss it, I think they miss it. You know, um, sometimes um, we haven't been able to do it, and they kind of ask, "Well, what's happening about that?" <laughs> you know, if we've come home late or done something extra that evening, it's not easy um, introducing that kind of thing to a family. It, it's something that we, that's the reason why we've started it very early in life. So it just becomes a normal part of their routine. But for someone obviously starting that for the first time, it can be difficult. But just little by little, you can do that for your family. Now, I'd like to ask you about some of the experiences that have formed your ideas about how we should communicate the Bible to children. So there's some general comments and perhaps some specific experience that you might have had. Some experiences. Well, I've um, I've been a Sabbath school teacher for a very long time since my girls were babies, um, so that's about thirteen years, and um, I've come to know and realise that the Bible can be a very important part of your children's life. And obviously, when they're babies, you start off with very simple things, singing, reading very, very simple stories. But as your children get older, I feel there has to be a certain time where we don't spoon-feed our children anymore, but we start actually get them into reading the Word for themselves. And specifically now that my children are older, I've kind of followed them through the Sabbath school regime, through our church, and so I'm up into juniors now, the much older children, and... I have over the years realised that 
we need to get the children to read the word for themselves. And so when I take my when I take Sabbath school, I always instead of just reading the program that's been given to me about the Bible story, I like to actually get the children into the Word and read it for themselves. So we all get our Bibles out, and um, we get the children to read the story, and I explain it as we go along. For me, um, reading the Word is a very powerful thing, and if we can get our children to understand that there's power in the Word, um, I think we've we've we're coming very close to um, to having our job done in getting them to realise that this is where the power is from, not just reading a story that someone's explained, but actually reading word for word for themselves. There's something very powerful about that. And I think there comes a time in a child's life when we need to get them to read the word for themselves. And so that's a passion of mine. So as you've... As you've worked with the older and older groups, mm. you've introduced them more to reading. So you get them early, yep. introduce them to reading and get them to engage with mm. the text themselves. Mm. So has that influenced the way that you have looked at children's media? Mm, very much so. Again, when I was asked to, uh, it was actually John Malkovich, who's the general manager of um, 3ABN Australia, I was actually just volunteering and helping out here. And he knew that I had some experience with working with kids and he brought the idea to me and said, Natalie, he says, we need a program to open the Sabbath for children. Um, he's, and he just felt that the worship that families should be having with their children wasn't happening in, in the greater society. And so he had a real passion for doing something about the Sabbath, particularly the Sabbath worship on the Friday night. And so he, he brought that to me and said, well, what can we do about that? And I said, oh, I'll go away and think about that, John, and see what we could come up with. And to me, the most important thing of, of developing a program was trying to get the kids into reading the word for themselves. Um, so your experience in working with children of different ages mm. really influenced you to see active engagement with the text of the mm. Bible as being an important part of that media. Yeah, that's right. Who are the people who have influenced you the most around, around <laughs> the way that you approach media and children in general? I'd probably say my children. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, if I'm um, developing children's programming, my children are going to be a fairly um, good gauge <laughs> of, um, of what I'm going to provide. I mean, they're my... They're my influence at home and where they're at stage developmentally. Also, too, I would just say all the children that I've looked after all those years ago. I mean, I've worked in so many areas with children that I probably every single child that I have had a, that I've been I've looked after over the years has they've all had an impact on where I am today. Um, How much? I mean, you've talked about um, your own children. What sort of impact have they had specifically on your on your understanding of issues? I, mean, I know children are great teachers of parents, aren't they? Mm. But the experiences that you have with your children often help you to uh, evaluate the ideas that you might be applying to their to their child rearing and so forth. Mm. How my children influenced me. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Because they're all different, aren't they? Oh, they're all different. And and look. Uh, as far as my case goes, I had my children very late in life. 
And so I'd looked after everyone else's children <laughs> up until I had my own. So you've made all the mistakes before yeah, you got to yours. Well, <laughs> I think I made more mistakes with my own, really. I think I came into having my children a bit more experienced than perhaps some other parents. But look, nothing prepares you for parenthood, really. It's huge. And I'm not saying it's easy, it's not, and I've made my mistakes. Um, I think especially being an older mum, I haven't dealt with the tiredness probably as well as a younger, vibrant mum. And so that's been a challenge for me continually is um, is my tiredness and my energy levels. Um, and look, when you have children, you become um, very selfless because when you have children, your attention goes to them and not yourself. And so you learn to give up self. You learn more patience. Um, I think you become more flexible. You become a little bit laid back. So I think my children have taught me a lot of things and I sometimes imagine my life without my children and sometimes you do when you're so exhausted. But really, I, I really can't imagine my life without my children now because they have really refined me, I, I would say, and, and especially my second daughter. Um, sometimes your first children... Um, You've only got your husband and yourself and one child to look after. When you when your subsequent children come along, it really does challenge every fibre of your being. And I really look at my second daughter as um, she really developed my character with Christ. I spent a lot of time on my knees. And I think if my second child hadn't come along, I don't think I would be where I am today. It sounds like your children have had a really important influence on the way that you think about children's media. Tell me how a children's TV or radio program fits into the Christian education of children. Well, hopefully it replaces or, or it's an alternative to what's out there, and that's the challenge. Um, I suppose, too, radio and, and, and television gets to places where you physically can't go so that's a wonderful thing. But even if the children don't cotton onto it, you know, that quick, because it does take a while to desensitise yourself really to the full-on media that's out there. And sometimes a Christian program can be perhaps even a bit boring to, to children who, who have never listened to or heard that sort of thing before. But my hope is that perhaps an adult or grandparent will sit down and listen to it. So then it gives them some ideas and educates them so then they can make an influence slowly in the home. Um, yeah, so... Tell me about A Day with the King. Okay. Well, as I said to you before, John, the general manager here, approached me about a program and the aim of um, welcoming in the Sabbath and, and trying to um, bring back some family worship time. So I went away and had to think about it and had a lot of prayer about it. And, yeah, we've come up with a program, 13 episodes. Um, it's airing at the moment. I think it's on its fourth airing, first season. We're about to um, have a second season come out. It's a mixture of things. It's um, talking about the Sabbath and the importance of, of the Sabbath and biblically where that fits into the scheme of things. We have um, prayer time, we have sin, sinning time, we have story time, we have a wonderful man, Dr John Hammond, who is a renowned storyteller, who um, tells us some wonderful stories about a particular lady, named Mrs Ellen White, who was an amazing writer and presenter a um, hundred years ago. 
and he shares some wonderful stories to the children. Uh, we have Bible study, which again, that's where my passion comes from, is from trying to get the children to to get into the word and to read the word for themselves. So, and you, so you're modelling how they should, how they can do that. Mm, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, from a child's point of view. And, and bringing those wonderful stories alive to them and they're reading it for themselves in the Bible. What are you trying to achieve with the program? To introduce Jesus to the children and that they can have a relationship with him. What have you learned from the, from the first couple of seasons? You've recorded the second season. What yes, have you learned? That God is good. <laughs> God is very, very good. Um, because no, no program involving children and with all the logistics of pulling this program together. Nothing is ever easy, is it? No, it's not. But what sort of satisfaction do you get from it? I'm just amazed at what God can do when we step out of the boat for him. And I look at that program and just think it's an absolute miracle. Here I am. I may have all this childcare experience, but I had no media experience at all. And the fact that God pulled this together just blows my mind. I mean, I had some fantastic people to work with. Your your wife, Cecily Harker, works with me on the show and she has been just such an amazing person to work for. She has so many talents. She's written some beautiful music. For the show, we've got uh, Pastor Rick Foray who sings with the children, um, uses his guitar and does praise time with the children. I mean, he's such a fantastic addition to the team. It's not just me. There's amazing people that work around me. We, as I said, we have Dr. John Hammond. Um, so, yeah, I'm just amazed that God has pulled this team together with everyone's experience, life experience, to bring this show together. I'm amazed what God has done. I could sit here for hours just talking about the miracles of how God brought people together. Um, and then, of course, we have Teddy, who has a story himself. Tell us about Teddy. <laughs> Teddy is a rabbit who sits on the sofa with Cecily and I, and um, he's amazing. <laughs> God brought this little rabbit into our lives. Uh, John had just asked me about trying to bring a concept together, and I'd been praying about it and saying, God, what do you want me to do? You know, we've got the challenge of this media out here. You know, how do we even compete with that, you know? And um, I was just praying and praying. And God was revealing things, you know, you could do this and you could do that. And um, this rabbit came into our lives. He was abandoned on the road. Some friends found him. They couldn't keep him, offered him to us. And very early on, I realised that bunnies are so funny. <laughs> And I, we'd never looked after bunnies before. We'd had guinea pigs, but never bunnies. And they're so intelligent. And he would do these really bizarre things. And I'm just thinking, Lord, why have you brought this rabbit into our lives? You know, this is just a scream. And um, God clearly just impressed on my mind, I want you to put him on the show. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, I'll put that concept to John. And I talked to John and his wife, Rosemary, who work here. And they were like, oh, don't know, a bunny on the show. And just gradually, as we developed the program and as we worked on the program for a year and a half, it was just very, um, it just, having him on the show was, was what we needed to do. And the miracle that happened on that first day of filming, we didn't really even know what we were going to do with Teddy. In the end, we just plopped him on the couch between Cecily and I, and that's where he stayed. 
He didn't run away. He just stayed there. And to me, that was just a confirmation that God was in it. And he said, don't worry, Natalie, I've got the rabbit. And uh, there's no need to stress, no need to worry. This is all going to work out. So God used a rabbit to... um, to really just reassure me that God was in this. Because when you're writing and writing and writing for a year and um, it can get pretty lonely and you really second-guess yourself, you know, am I in this? Am I doing? Am I in this for the right reasons? Am I doing the right thing? You know, is this what you want me to do, God? You know, and he just kept reassuring me every step of the way. It's okay, I've got the rabbit. So to me it was t- Teddy... Um, is um, a very important part of the show. Um, it just confirms that God was with this the whole way. So you have stories, mm-hmm. you have music, mm-hmm. you have Bible study, mm-hmm. and you have Teddy. And we have Teddy. Teddy is pivotal. My, I know my wife is in love with Teddy. <laughs> she is. Her and Teddy have formed a very special bond. And I think that's uh, that's an important thing to um, just have a little mascot or yes. something that sort of represents the show. Yes, and the kids love him. The kids just thought he was great, and um, they've all built up a relationship with Teddy. Yeah. We're going to talk about stories in a moment, but I'd like to um, just ask you about the role of books and reading. Mm-hmm. I know that you have some very firm ideas about this. We have a very rapidly changing media environment in which reading books is probably secondary to some digital media. Mm. What do you think about the role of books and the reading of books and why? Why is it so important? Well, firstly, children learn to read through reading books, which is very important. And at least that's still going on in the schools. They're not sort of, you know, sitting in front of a computer learning to read books. They're still learning to open a book, turn the pages, which I think is really important. It's obviously very important for their speech development and their audio development and um, and their listening skills. And, and for me, books have always been a passion. You know, when I started working with children in the late 1980s, um, Book reading was so important. That was before the years of all this technology, you know. As a preschool mother craft nurse, um, you know, book book reading in a childcare centre, kindergarten, wherever I was working was just such an important part of the program. And so I suppose for me, um, it's been a very deep passion, um, just the reading of books. Um, it was normal to sit down on the floor and have 12, 15 kids sitting around you listening to a story. There is something powerful about a book, and I think we can't forget that. Um, again, we've just media entrenched society. You know, we read books on the iPads now, um, which is okay, but I don't think it it's the same as having a book in your hand and turning those pages. And it's just such a fantastic experience. Mm. Now, Natalie, you work in. Um children's TV at 3ABN Australia, Mm. but you're also the producer of 3ABN Australia Radio Children's Story Hour. Mm. What are you trying to accomplish with this program? And tell us a little about the the, um, the segments in the Children's Story Mm. Hour. Well, again, um, we were talking quite a while back about the possibility of a children's program for radio, and the first thing that came to my mind was, let's read some stories. We have such rich resources in our church um, and I'm just amazed at what's out there that we've kind of used many years ago and we've kind of just left 
and we've kind of come into this media entrenched world and kind of benchmarking against everyone else and I think the resources that we have are just marvellous and the one thing that just really blew me away was I had an opportunity of working in a local church's library and um, it was thousands of books that we had to go through and catalogue and I just was blown away by the amount of resources that we have on the shelves. I mean some of the children's books were years and years old but I'm just thinking, what's happening? Why aren't we using this stuff? Because we've, we've got a whole generation of children who, um, who aren't aware of the history of our church, the history of Christian um, leaders, um, Christian missionaries. And I just think we need to bring all this back. And of course, my love of books, I'm an avid reader myself. Um, I just thought, what if, it, what if we develop a program that brings back those stories that today's children haven't heard of before? Um, and what if we get used to them sitting and listening? Because, we, as I said, we live in such a busy, frantic world. Everything's, you know, the touch of the fingertips. Hmm. What if we try and bring back that audio listening skills of children sitting down and just listening to a book being read? There's something special about that. And um, that's why when I was speaking to you about this a while back, I thought, what if we do something like that? The challenge of, of children's media is where do you go after the media? I mean, we've, got, we've come so far. How, we, number one, we can't compete with it. But number two, where do we go next? It's almost like we've hit a wall. And so I've kind of think, well, we might as well go back and bring the stuff that, that they haven't heard before almost sort of um, antique, bestoke type stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to the old stuff and bring it out of the closet, dust it off and see if that that works. So I'm taking a bit of a gamble, Barry. <laughs> Some people might think I'm a bit antiquated and old-fashioned, but you know what, I, I, I don't think you can beat a good book and a good story. So tell us about some of the stories you've selected. Oh, okay. Well, one of the first on my list was um, a series of books written by Arthur Maxwell called Uncle Arthur's Bedtime Stories. Now, because I wasn't brought up in the church, um, I'd only discovered these stories when my own children were children, or little, much little than they are now. And... I actually didn't own any Uncle Arthur bedtime stories, so I actually had to go out to the antique shops and the second-hand bookshops and try and find them myself because um, I didn't live near an Adventist book centre at the time. And so that's where I found them and I fell in love with them and I started reading them to my girls. And as a whole family, we just were just captivated by them and just loved them. And I'm thinking, you know, where is this stuff? You know, it's like being forgotten. And so for me, that was the first thing that had to be to be read. And so we've got um, Dr. Alan Lindsay, who's reading those for us, and they're just beautiful. So, yeah. And we've got some mission stories. We have. We've got an elderly pa um, retired pastor who's come in and shared his experiences in the South Pacific. And, of course, since we're in Australia, we want to have a bit of an Australian flavour. And so we thought, well, South Pacific, that's just part of our backyard. And so um, Pastor Gordon Lee has come in and he's recorded um, his experiences in the South Pacific, and they're just wonderful. Um, such, um, such life experience stories that I hope the children can really learn from. 
just beautiful and his faith and um, the many people's lives he touched in the South Pacific, just amazing. And there's also some stories from Burma, so the Eric yes. Hare stories, so yes. almost 100 years old, those yes. stories. Yes, Eric B. Hare, he's another famous storyteller. Um, and Dr. John Hammond, who reads those for us, tells us a, a story during that series of how, as a little boy, he actually met Eric B. Hare and how it influenced his life. And he was a missionary 100 years ago in Burma, and the stories he tells um, of the people in Burma and the children that he touched um, with the story of Christ and, um, and how people's lives were changed and the amazing adventures he got up to in Burma. I mean, 100 years ago, it was pretty pioneering work. I guess we shouldn't give too much away, should no, we? No, we shouldn't. We've got a few <laughs> other things up our sleeves, but um, we probably won't give too much away. But that is that is uh, just a little sample of what we have. It's an, it's an hour program, so it's just an hour of story reading. So hopefully it'll go really well and it'll be different. Well, we can see how you went about selecting the stories now. You've told us that you really want to bring things back out of the past that mm. the children might not have the opportunity to experience today. That's right. But which are really captivating. And I think I think we can learn from our pioneers. We can learn from our elders. Um, that's another thing that concerns me. We, we don't have a lot of mentorship going on in our society at the moment. We don't have the older people mentoring our younger people, our older people telling the stories and passing the stories down to our youth. And I think, again, that's important because we could all learn from our older folk. Um, I think the experiences they've had in life and the enriching adventures and pioneering spirit, you know, um, I think that's something that for our children today, it's a wonderful thing to learn about and grasp and grow in their own relationship with Jesus. And so that's what I'm hoping to achieve out of all that. Why is the story such a powerful medium? I think there's nothing more powerful than a testimony, Barry. Testimonies do wonderful things for us. It helps grow our own Christian walk and our faith in the Lord and our trust and faith in the Bible. I think it's important that we learn from others. And I think you can't beat a testimony. And a lot of our stories, that's all they are, is just wonderful testimonies of how Christ has worked in their heart and changed their heart and helped them to grow in their relationship with, with Jesus and how they've been able to help people. Um, again, we live in a very hurried, busy, self-centred society and we need to teach our children not to be selfish and to think of others. And a lot of these stories are from the era where people, they probably were workaholics and they worked themselves to death in those days, all those years back. But obviously we need balance today, but just to teach the children that there are, other, there are more important things in life than themselves, that there are people to reach out there, to be kind to... to, to um, to witness them a better life than what they're leading, to um, just constantly helping people. And and so I think um, these stories will bring back all those values. Moving on to something quite different now. Mm. You had a book published in 1999 by Simon and Schuster entitled Vegetarian Meals for Babies and Young Children. Tell me about how that came about. Well, again... Um, I was, I was working in the industry. I was actually working at Tresillian at the time, which is a um, mother and baby unit um, where parents come with their babies up until toddlers who have issues with their parenting and uh, they come in for the week and we guide and direct them through that week, whatever issue they're dealing with. 
And a lot of problems were establishing routines, establishing boundaries, um, and establishing routines with better healthy eating. And we used to have so many children come in who they were two, three, and all they'd been fed on was baby food bought at the supermarket. And that, of course, limits their experience with their eating. And so when you're trying to introduce new foods or adult foods, which by that time, they, you know, 12 months, they should be on an adult diet, um, th they were really struggling with all that. And so um, as a mothercraft nurse working in, in that um, organisation, we all had to do, every six weeks, we all had to have our time in the kitchen where we prepared the meals for, um, for the 20 children in the... Um, Actually, it was four. Eight. It was about twelve children at the time, um, and we would have to go in and prepare the meals for the week. And I just realised again that there wasn't a lot of support out there for parents. There wasn't a lot of um, at that time, especially education on introducing vegetarian food to babies and children. And so again, I just thought this is a niche that needs to be filled. And through a lot of prayer, this book came about and um, I've got a publisher and, and published it. So it's a book on introducing solids and food to children, but more of a vegetarian slant. And really, when you think about it, most children don't start eating meat with the introductions of solids until, you know, 10, 12, 11 months anyway. So virtually they're all starting on a vegetarian diet anyway with just fruit and veggies. And so, yeah, that's how that all came about. You seem to have had an interest in the welfare of children for some time. What's the link between your interest in children's Christian media and diet for young children? Or is there a link? <laughs> I think I learnt very early on that if you start children off early, you're going to have less battles in life later on. And so if you can start your children off, of, off with a, a good diet, a variety of foods, healthy foods you're going to have less of an issue later on. Get them in early, start them off in a positive way. The same with reading the Bible, introducing Jesus to your children, introducing prayer to your children. The earlier you can start that off, the better. Of course, it's never too late you know, for parents out there who are thinking, oh, I haven't done that, I'm, you know, I'm a failure as a mother, you know, what have I done, or a parent, or it's never too late to start. But obviously, if, if you can start the earliest you possibly can, it's going to lead, you know, it's going to help alleviate the issues down the track. Tell me about your nursing career. Okay, so when I left high school, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher, but my um, HSC marks weren't high enough. So I decided to do a course at... Um, at my local TAFE. It was a two-year childcare course and you came out as a preschool mothercraft nurse. So I could work with children in a childcare centre from naught to six or I could go and work in a hospital looking after newborn babies. And so I actually did both. I, I did work in childcare for a while and, um, and that involved, you know, developing programs for the children that I was with and working with them throughout the day. And then I actually thought, no, look, I want to give the maternity nursing a go. So I actually, um, I actually started off in Melbourne in a childcare centre, then came back up um, to the Murray River and did some work up around those areas in Australia, around the Murray River on the borders of Victoria and New South Wales. 
And then I decided to go to Sydney and I worked at the Sydney Adventist Hospital as a mothercraft nurse in the nursery there in the maternity part of the hospital and I worked there for many, many years um, just teaching parents how to look after their babies, how to bath their babies, how to establish the breastfeeding, uh, working with the paediatricians and the midwives and just skilling up the mums so when they went home they knew tried to help them to know how to cope when they went home. And that was very fulfilling. I just love that work. It was just wonderful. And I think that's where my passion came for education. I was involved in a lot of things there. I became a lactation consultant, um, teaching mothers how to um, establish their breastfeeding. Um, I also worked on some educational videos there in the hospital on how to settle your baby and things like that. I then... Uh, did my enrolled nursing while I was at the SAN and so I worked on the general side for a little while and that was a really good experience. Um, I then went overseas, decided to have a trip overseas. So tell me about the time you were a nanny in London. Yeah, that was a wonderful experience. My father actually had a bit of influence on me um, with that because as a young man he went to London and, you know, it was, it's it's a thing to do in Australia when you get to, of age that you go to London and you spread your wings and you go over for a working holiday. And uh, so that's what I did in my early 20s and I worked with two amazing families in London looking after their children and that was just a fantastic experience. It really uh, matured me and I saw a bit of the world and I got to work with some lovely families, learnt new cultures um, and just it was a delight to look after their children. And um, I really enjoyed myself. Missed Australia, of course, but, you know, it was just a really lovely experience. I, I learnt a lot. Um, how different families function and every family's different and, and working in with, with family and their needs and, and what they would like um, to see their children have and achieve and develop. That's a really interesting life and I look forward to finding out a bit more about your life in the next um, part of the program. We'll go to a break now. When we come back, I'll be talking with Natalie about her early life and spiritual experiences. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc., P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. If you've just joined us, I'm Barry Harker, and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guest is Natalie McLean, producer host of children's programming at 3ABN Australia. In this part of the program, I'll talk with Natalie about her early life and spiritual experience. Natalie, where were you born and where did you grow up? Okay, I was born in Melbourne, and when I was about seven years old, my parents decided to move to the country. And we moved to a little area in northeast Victoria in Australia, 
um, in a region called the Kiwa Valley, which is um, a little township right at the end of the Kiwa Valley called Mount Beauty, and which is really at the foot of Mount Bogon, which is the highest mountain in Victoria. Didn't they have some fires through there? Yeah, they have. They do have some fires through there. Um, also, the ski resort False Creek is only about sort of a 45-minute drive from Mount Beauty up the mountain. So very mountainous, um, very Australian bush-type country area. And that's where I spent the majority of my um, growing up years was there. Um, my father worked for the local um, State Electricity Commission, which was called the SEC in those days. And my mum was a nurse, a registered nurse midwife. So that's where I grew up I grew, and um, we started off in the township of Mount Beauty just in a house on a block and then we um, bought some acreage out in the bush and um, yeah, that's where my life was. I grew up in the Australian bush um, with all the native wildlife around us. I skied in winter and uh, swam in summer, hot, hot, hot summers and cold winters. So that was kind of my childhood, very stable yeah, no dramas. Went to the local state school for primary and high school. So, yeah, just... Any siblings? Have a younger sister and a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Mm. What about your grandparents? You've mentioned that they were a strong influence on you. Yes. Well, my mother's um, parents, I didn't really get to know because my pop died when I was only little and my grandmother died before I was born. But my father's um uh, parents, my nan and pa, yeah, they had an influence on me. I I really love them. They died early on when I was about 12, 13. So, but yeah, I think they've they kind of had an influence on me. My pa was a um, he was actually a filmmaker, and um, he was. So a is this where the media came from? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think there might have been some little tiny creative gene that perhaps came across. But he was a filmmaker, and he was a one man show where he did everything, and. Um, he, uh, he actually went to World War II. He was in World War II where he was uh, a war correspondent and um, took films of the Second World War and sent them back to Australia and wrote some newspaper articles. So somewhere there, perhaps somewhere, there's a little link. It sounds like there's a writing gene and a media gene well, lurking there know. in your background. I don't know. But anyway, it, yeah, it's interesting. What did you do? I mean, growing up in country Victoria, mm. what sorts of things did you do when you went at school or...? At home, what sort of interest did you have? Yeah, well, I suppose that's where my love of books came, Barry, because we we didn't have television for a long time. Um, where we were, particularly on the foot of the mountain in the bush where mum and dad had built the home, we were out of TV range. So for many, many years, we didn't have a television. It wasn't until we were sort of in my mid-teens that we got a TV. And so books became part of my life. I just read and read and read. I think I read the local high school library drive books. I'd be waiting for the next batch of new books to come into the school, you know, and I would be wanting to borrow them before the librarians had a time to um, laminate them but um, or put them put contact on them. So, yeah, books were a big part of my life. As I said, skiing was a big part of my life because False Creek wasn't very far away and so wintertime we would be up skiing. And then uh, summertime we'd be swimming at the local pool, the river. And so it was a very, very free, sort of very safe childhood. Um, Skiing, swimming and reading sound like very nice interest to Mm. me. Tell me about your experience of religion. Okay. um, My mother was a Seventh-day Adventist for a very short while as a young girl. She... um, 
she started some Bible study lessons from a literature evangelist that came down to, came to her door and she became an Adventist, was baptised, was an Adventist for a short while. Then she met my father, who wasn't of any Christian denomination. So my mum left the church quite early on and so I didn't really have a spiritual or Christian religious upbringing. I didn't go to church with my mum and dad. Though I do remember my mother reading me Bible stories as a child and teaching me to pray. And obviously that was a very pivotal part of my life. I also had an aunt and uncle who lived a few hours away who we'd visit in the Christmas holidays and they had dairy farm. And I would stay there uh, with my cousin and my aunt and uncle. And they used to take me to church on a strange day. They used to take me to church on a Saturday and I used to always think that was a bit strange. And it probably only happened about two, three times but I just locked that away in the back of my mind. Um, and then when I was studying and I was living uh, living from away from home, um, some friends of mine invited me to their place to have some Bible studies, which I later found out was Seventh-day Adventist. And so I studied the Word. I then finished my job there and I moved down to Melbourne. Well, actually, I'd finished my studies and moved down to Melbourne for a new job. And um, I continued some Bible studies there from a, with a pastor down in Melbourne and I was baptised into the Ngunnawadin Seventh-day Adventist Church. And that's where my spiritual journey um, started from. I mean, when you're first baptised and you first come into a Christian denomination, you're such a baby, you know, your journey's just begun. And um, I was 21 when I was baptised. And, um, yeah, my Christian relationship has grown over the years. But I must say that um, when I was in my late 30s, early 40s, I had a reconversion um, and that happened around the time of my second child. Um, and, yeah, I, it was just an amazing experience. I invited the Holy Spirit into my life because I couldn't understand why so many people were doing so many uh, amazing things for God and yet I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, I don't think I can do that, you know. And... Uh, yeah, so I was actually watching 3ABN at the time. We were down in Victoria. I had a, my little girl who was um, probably five at the time and my second daughter was about um, two. And I started watching on 3ABN some stories about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit can have an amazing effect on your life if you invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Because we can't do anything. It's only the Holy Spirit that can work through us. And I was so afraid to do so many things because I just think I wasn't good enough. You know, I can't do that. So I did. It just clicked. You know, all this time I'd been in the church and I'd never understood how the third part of the Godhead works, the Holy Spirit. And it just all clicked and fell into place. And I got down on my knees and I just gave myself to Christ. And I mm -hmm. said, Lord, I can't do anything. Um, if you want me to do these amazing things for you, please send the Holy Spirit into my life. And basically my life has never been the same. I started Bible studies with people, doing Bible studies with people. I started getting involved in more things in the church. And um, it was a pretty, pretty dramatic part of my life. And that happened, as I said, late 30s, early 40s. And so, you know, my life's never been the same, and hence that's why I'm sitting here. And that was, and that was an important part that was of an your preparation, wasn't it? It was. It was an important part because I've realised that we can't do anything without without God or Christ and the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We're, we're just human beings. We're nothing really. But with Christ, we can do everything. And um, really what's been achieved in my life so far, I just give all glory to God because it's not me, it's him. 
And, um, yeah, so that's sort of where my spiritual journey has been. How did you meet Paul? How did I meet my husband? Yes, well, that was from the nanny years of living in London. Um, when you're in, when you're living in London, you get a bit lonely at times. So you kind of draw to other Australians, and so you kind of, you know, if you know someone that's come over, you know, you try and connect with them. And and so yeah, um, I knew. Oh, actually, a lady who I boarded with when I first moved to London, she was an Australian, and she'd moved to London, and she ran a boarding house and. She, when Paul arrived in London for a holiday, she said, oh, do you know such and such? Do you know Natalie? Um, and he says, oh, yeah, I think I know her. And so we just connected and just as friends, Australian friends, we um, we met in Leicester Square, Piccadilly Circus, around that area and we had pizza for tea and we didn't think much of each other, I don't think, at the time. we just It was just the company of another Australian. And uh, he went on his way with his travels. I went on with my work in London. And when I came back... Um, early oh it was about mid early 95 but later on in the year I'd moved back to Sydney and that was where he was living at the time and we connected with each other at church and that was where the relationship and friendship blossomed and we ended up marrying. Do you have a consistent um, parenting philosophy at home? Well we try and 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 use a Christian philosophy, you know, trying to, um, as I said to you before, keeping that worship time sacred at the end of the day. We try not to let anything in our busy life, you know, get in that way. Um, yeah, so we try and keep our, be consistent with our girls because obviously an inconsistent parenting style creates a lot of drama in the family. So we try and you know, keep our consistency with our parenting, that's important. But um, I suppose with many marriages, the husband's away working long hours and it's the mother in the home that keeps the, the home running. And so, yeah, we, we've worked out a, a pretty good balance, I think. If I had to sum up what you've been telling me today, mm. I'd have to say that you have put aside some of that lack of confidence that you might have felt in the past and that you've actually achieved a number of quite significant things professionally. You're a writer, a script writer, a media producer across television and radio. And uh, today you would um, be much more engaged in the things that you perhaps would have shunned in, mm. in the past. Mm. So I can see that you've actually developed over time to the mm. point now where I guess you're prepared to tackle stuff that you wouldn't have tackled maybe 25 years ago. Yes, that would be about right. And as my mum sometimes says, Natalie, you're a late bloomer. And I think I am. You know, I'm 47. Well, I turned 47 in a couple of weeks. And I would look back on my life and I'd say, yes, I'm a bit of a late bloomer. I didn't do very well at school, Barry. You know, I remember sitting in my English class in HSC English, struggling with writing essays, just struggling. And um, in tears, because I was just so frustrated, I couldn't do it. And so coming from that to now sitting down in an office and writing scripts and programs for children, for Christian media, it just blows my mind. And I just am so grateful for God. You know, he's such a marvellous Lord. He's so marvellous. He works with us. He's patient with us. He develops us. And I look back on my life and I, even though my Christian walk to begin with was really um, simple and baby steps like, 
I had an under, I, for some reason I had an understanding that I thought, no, God is guiding my life. All these amazing experiences that I've had with working in London, working in a hospital, working in childcare, working for Tresillian, I had such a varied professional life and I always wondered, what are you doing, God? You know, I've just been so blessed with such an abundant work experience. And I always thought in the back of my mind, God must be preparing me for something. And I look at what I'm doing now and I just think, praise God. Someone had, I believe someone's been praying for me all my life, you know. Um, There's probably several people praying for me, but I just, um, yeah, I'm just awed, Barry, what God has done. And and that I'm actually sitting here today talking to you is just mind-blowing. And we just said- God has has clearly seen your potential. And, and just helped you to this, mm. this current part of your life. Mm. What are your plans for the rest of your life? Well, that's a new chapter of a book, isn't it? I suppose every day is a God-given grace and um, we're working on season three of A Day with the King at the moment. Season two is coming out on the 1st of May, Friday the 1st of May 2015. So the fact that God has brought us through a first season of A Day with King, we've produced a second season which is just about to be um, aired. I'm working on a third season. Hopefully we'll have this radio program up soon. So each day is a gift from God. At the moment, this is where I am and where he's placed me. I don't know what he has for me in the future, but I just have to stay in his hands. Hmm. What have you learned from your life, Natalie, that you think we should all know? I mean, your life is still um, a work in progress. Mm -hmm. What have you learned from it? That God has a plan for each of our lives. Never give up. Um, Step out of the boat for him. That's really important. When God calls you, take that step and step out of the boat for him. Ask the Holy Spirit into your life to give you the strength to do that because it can be quite scary. Prayer is so important. I pray for my kids every day, a couple of times a day. It's such an important part of the day, part of the time of day to be spent praying with your children. And the Word. The Word has become so... um, so important to me because the power is in the word and I have just learnt to depend on certain Bible verses to get me through. And so I've learnt that God is very good. Have you got one of those favourite verses for yes, us? Yes, this is, this is my favourite verse and I have been claiming this every day for years and it's just so precious to me. Isaiah forty twenty nine, He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increases strength. That seems to sum up your life, doesn't it? It does. It does. Natalie, would you close our conversation today with prayer, perhaps with a special reference to families that might be struggling with the issues we've discussed today? Mm, Okay. Dearest Heavenly Father, we just thank and praise your name for the opportunities you give us. We thank you for the people listening to this program. And I just ask, Lord, that you be with all the parents out there, Lord. Lord, um... Parenting is such a hard job and um, I just ask that you be with the parents out there who are struggling. Just bless them and be with them, guide and direct them, Lord. And be with the children as well. Help them, Lord, to form a relationship with you. We thank and praise you for all the goodness that you give us and uh, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Natalie, thank you and best wishes for your media programs, uh, A Day with the King and Children's Story Hour. And also for your family Mm, and your your family life. Thank you. I'm Barry Harker, and you've been listening to Life Learnings. My guest today has been Natalie McLean, producer host of Children's Programming at 3ABN Australia. Remember to tune in again next time as I speak with another fascinating guest on Life Learnings. 
Bye for now and God bless you and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.